Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 444 Wednesday, October 28th. Since Titans Twitter is basically losing its mind as we approach the NFL trade deadline every time a player is cut or moved, let's break down the anatomy of a potential Titans trade, the things that John Robinson needs to consider before pulling the trigger on a deal. There are a lot of body parts to this equation. John Robinson's track record, the Titans' draft capital, cap space, roster needs, pending free agents for next year, and overall market value across the league. Let's take a look at each of them one by one so that you, the fan, can decide what you think John Robinson should do. Robinson's behavior in the past is easy enough to analyze. He's never made a trade in season outside of dumping Kamale Correa to the highest bidder a few weeks ago. So this is uncharted territory from an evaluation standpoint. The draft capital conversation is easy, too. The Titans have some extra picks to play with, as they will likely get an extra third rounder as compensation for losing Jack Conklin and already have a few extra sixth rounders lying around as well. The Titans should have no issue being able to package plenty of value together for any level of acquisition should they want to go down this path. The roster needs also seem pretty obvious. Depth at cornerback and a supporting or starting piece along either the offensive or defensive line. Unfortunately, in the hierarchy of NFL players, offensive tackle, cornerback, and defensive line are all premium positions. What about future contracts? Why is this important? Well, should JR acquire a piece who has a contract beyond 2020, then the future contracts could be impacted. Some pieces like Corey Davis or Vic Beasley probably will not be back next year, but guys like Jonu Smith and Jayon Brown are in for some big raises for sure. No, it seems like the two biggest factors in this conversation are going to be asking price and cap space. Since asking price varies from team to team and from player to player, it's almost impossible to pinpoint. Cap space, however, seems pretty clear-cut and may be the biggest limiting factor. The Titans have around $8 million in space to play with, and that isn't a ton if they're going to acquire a premium piece, like, say, reigning defensive player of the year, Stephon Gilmore, for example. The Titans have never been in this situation before, sitting atop their division as one of the best teams in the AFC coming off a deep playoff run the year before. Every other year of the John Robinson era has featured a team situated directly in the middle of the pack. The fact of the matter is we do not know how Robinson will handle this situation because we've never seen him operate in this arena before. Winning in the NFL isn't normally tied to huge midseason trades, so there's a ton of risk involved in any big move from the Titans. The Ravens have made the biggest move so far, adding former Jaguar and Viking Yannick Ngakwe to their defensive front at a hefty price tag of a third-round pick. Despite all of these factors playing a role, it might also just come down to what John Robinson feels in his gut. When he sits back in his big leather chair and his mahoganyed office and all of his leather-bound books and looks at his depth chart, does he think he can win a Super Bowl as the team is currently constructed? Or does he see too many glaring holes to ride with this group as it stands today? So, what do I think the Titans should do? Well, nobody is asking me, but I don't normally like to spend a lot on big-ticket items at the trade deadline in the NFL. Generally, they grab headlines and not a whole lot else. But when considering the goal, winning the Super Bowl, and the margins for error that come along with that rarefied error, I think supplementing this roster would be a wise move. I don't want the price tag or the cap hit that comes along with a name like Gilmore, but finding a value piece in the secondary and another big body along the line of scrimmage would be something I would be very much in favor of if the price is right. And then there were three folks. Nashville SC scored another three huge points in their chase for a playoff bid in their inaugural season on Tuesday night with a 1-0 win 
over Montreal on the road. Not only was it a huge victory, but it came against the team directly behind them in the Eastern Conference standings, and there are only three matches left to go in the regular season. Randall Layal continued his promising offensive form by finishing a beautiful feed on a quick, heady restart from Alex Muell in the 32nd minute. Nashville SC was the better team for much of the match, and Joe Willis and company finished off the victory with yet another clean sheet. Although, it didn't come without some serious playoff vibes. Montreal scored the apparent tying marker with just six minutes to go. I think I could actually hear the entire city of Nashville simultaneously pucker up. But the play was deemed offsides, on the field, and in replay, and Nashville collectively exhaled and unclenched. It has been anything but a smooth first year for the club, but it's impossible to argue with how Gary Smith's squad has responded in the most critical matches of the year. Tuesday night was SC's third straight road win and fourth straight game with points. And have I mentioned that there's only three matches left to go in the schedule? So, what does Nashville need to officially become the fifth expansion squad in MLS history to make the playoffs? Well, it could come as early as Wednesday night. With a loss from Miami and a loss or a draw from Atlanta, the postseason becomes official for Nashville SC. Or the club could just go out and beat Chicago at home at Nissan Stadium on Halloween night this Saturday and set off what should be quite the party in Music City. Let's finish with all of the feels this morning, shall we? I could make the case fairly easily that two of the best things in all of sports will happen not only at the same time, but in the same place together. ESPN announced that College Game Day will broadcast live from Augusta National on Saturday, November 14th during round three of the Masters. What has made College Game Day a cultural institution on Saturday mornings for three decades has been its willingness to be creative and maybe do things that no other pregame show has ever considered. And broadcasting from the par three course at Augusta National is pure genius. I don't even really know why. It doesn't actually change much of anything, either my college football Saturday morning or my consumption of the Masters. But like a cold beer on a hot afternoon on the golf course or perhaps a cold glass of whiskey on a late Saturday night watching college football, it just feels right to have these two things together. And I don't really know why, and I don't really care, because it just feels good. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please share the show. Tell all of your friends. Rate, review, and subscribe as well, per usual. My name is Braden Gall. This has been the 440 for Wednesday, October 28th. 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler.